Good morning, good evening, hello, wherever you are in the world. It is Friday where we are, um, Friday the 8th of August, 2014. The year is ticking on by. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast where um, the co-founders of Manage Flutter, myself, Kevin Garber, and James Peter, we talk about everything related to the tech economy, um, social media, latest um, web apps, mobile apps, what's happening in the tech stock world, um, you name it, um, social share is the social economy. Um, you're listening to episode number 43. You can always listen to back episodes at itsamonkey.com. I uh, just want to ask you a small favor if you are listening to the podcast, if you could go to itsamonkey.com forward slash iTunes and leave a comment and a rating on iTunes for us. That helps us get up the ranking so we can share the love. And um, you can also just send us a tweet at uh, Monkey Podcast or email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. And someone that did email us is a web developer from Sydney, Australia, um, Aaron Rosano, and he said he in, enjoys our podcast a lot. He did have some some interesting comments for us, um, James. One, one was which um, he would prefer if instead of the rep- repetitive ads, we would actually do ads that are read ourselves about the product and we actually just talk a little bit okay. about the features which was quite an interesting suggestion which i think we might take mm. up in future that's a good point yeah that's a good point i guess people are probably a bit cynical of the um the pre-made ads or whatever so. probably and and we have been running the same ones so probably, <laughs> so probably the the listen our regular listeners um they they probably dream of it hopefully no, not hopefully, but uh, we do need to change those ads. And another comment he had was he'd like to hear a little bit more about our journey and you know embedding comments about our journey along the way. So we, we might do a little bit more of that. But thanks um, for that email, Aaron. Appreciate it. If you want to shout out, just email us or tweet us. Got a great show coming up for you today. Later on in the show, we talk with Saul Fleischman, who's based in Osaka, Japan. And uh, as you know, I've become a huge fan of Japan since I visited there earlier this year. What a fantastic place. And we talked to him about his bootstrapped start- startup, Right Tag. Um, but as always, we talk about some of uh, the news that's happened over the last couple of weeks. Remember, we publish at the moment every two weeks. So if you check the, your iTunes on Friday or Saturday, there. Hopefully, every second uh, week there will be a podcast there. James, let's talk about um, iPhone six. The, apparently, Apple has announced. Is it Apple or rumors that have announced that that the official? So there's an announcement about the official announcement coming on the September the 9th and the product being released. I believe on the September the twentieth, which happens to be my birthday. Um, so from Apple, there's been nothing so far as the typical Apple thing. As far as I know, there isn't even an announcement about the announcement. It's just rumors about the announcement. Um, but, um, as usual with these things, um, people have got pretty good at, um, you know, embedding sources and, um, and finding out when things are going to be. So, um, the rumor mill is actually much more accurate than it used to be about this stuff. So the, the current, um, belief is that they will announce the new iPhone on September 9th. Um, which is quite likely. Um, I think they've announced previous products on that date before. Um, so we expect there will be an announcement by Apple soon about that. And, um, um, and, and the actual date? Was I right in saying September the 20th, or this is all just highly speculative rumor? 
Um, I haven't seen that one. I suspect that one's probably a bit more speculative on the date. Um, but I mean, in terms of in terms of what's known about the actual announcement, um, so the belief is that there's going to be two new uh, models. Both are going to be quite a bit larger. Um, so it'll be a seven, uh, sorry, a four point seven inch compared to the current four inch one uh, iPhone screen width. Um, screen dimension and a 5.5 inch which is which is huge actually a very large screen as well um, so there's going to be a lot larger phones than the current iPhones that are that are out there which is quite interesting um, design wise there's been a few cases that have been um, stolen or recovered from factories or whatever or or whatever you want to call it um, espionage I guess in some ways leaked um, <coughs> leaked leaked yeah so there's um so so there's people got a pretty good idea of what they're going to look like they actually go back to some of the earlier models they're much more rounded on the edges um, and they're definitely quite a bit thinner as well which is quite interesting so they're they're larger in the dimensions but but also thinner um, they're a bit more like um, an iPhone touch in terms of the dimensions um, which is quite quite nice um, so and hopefully they won't be that much heavier um, so they won't be weighing down your pocket anymore even if they are a bit larger um, and yeah, other than that, there's there's plenty of other rumours, some more likely than others. Um, one that's almost certainly going to happen is they're going to have much stronger screens. So the current versions are already pretty good. Um, like I've had my iPhone for what is it now, almost a year, and hasn't scratched the, I haven't had a single scratch on the screen. Um, but apparently, the newer versions are not only going to be uh, very even more scratch resistant, but they're also going to be um, almost impervious to breaking. So if you drop your iPhone, you're going to have very few chances that it's actually going to um, break on the screen, which is a, a very common thing these days. You must uh, be the the only iPhone person I know that doesn't have a smashed screen, and I believe it's a bit of a <laughs> if you uh, it's it's sort of like. Um, sort of cool to have a you know you get your cred if you've got your your smashed screen. <laughs> I did smash I did smash my earlier i screen uh, iPhone screen early early on when I got it. I had to get that replaced. Um, but um, no, my I haven't. I, I've been much more careful since then. So <laughs> um, because their new screen they say is going to be sapphire, right? Or the rumors. Yeah. Is. Well, it's a sapphire composite, so it's not exactly sapphire. So on the current iPhones, the 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 button um, for the Touch ID, the one that reads your fingerprint, is a very strong sapphire, um, much stronger than the rest of the glass on the phone, because that can't scratch. Because if it does, then it won't be able to read your fingerprints. Um, so the theory is, or well, based on the case that's been leaked, so the the screen that's been leaked so far, it's basically got a strength um, somewhere in between those two. So it's not quite as strong as that Touch ID button because um, it's not really necessary to make it that strong. But it is um, stronger than the current Gorilla Glass that they're using. I think if they, I mean, all Apple needed to do, I mean, if I was, you know, I like to play this little game of if I were CEO. <laughs> and <laughs> if I were CEO of Apple, First of all, I'd open up the bank account and look at that $60 billion of cash on the balance sheet every day, um, which would be a bit of a buzz. But besides that, I would have actually just first and foremost got the best engineers in the world to work on the battery issue, the energy issue. Right? Mm. I would have been like, okay, we need to solve this one. This one alone is going to win us market. I mean, if they just have the existing iPhone, but they actually just have a battery that you only need to charge once a week and you can hammer the hell out of it, that alone, in my view, would probably win a very important part of the market. 
Yeah, I mean, the theory is, as usual, that the battery is going to be much larger in this one, um, but as to how much larger, it's kind of still to be seen. Um, given that the cases are larger, it could actually be significantly large capacity, which which would be interesting. Um, but yeah, it's still still up in the air as to what they're what they're doing there. The other the other rumours are that they're going to possibly do NFC, so the near field communication that um, already exists in a lot of Android phones that you can do payments with and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's um, it's been rumoured for the past like three or four years that the iPhone would do it. It's never actually come to fruition, so um, still a little bit um, out there as to whether it's actually going to occur or not. I'm looking at the Apple share price now. Just when I haven't been tracking it for a little while. Um, it's basically been on the up and up. Um, it mm -hmm. peaked, peaked nearly at 100 over mm -hmm. the last year. Um, mm. About a year ago, it was about 63. And it's peaked a little while ago at nearly uh, 100. It's now $94. So um, the, the, the shares, you know, obviously pushing for that this is going to be a winner. But if you're a gambling person, it might be uh, it might be interesting to get into um, Apple shares now. Although in theory it should be discounted into the price, but things are never never work as perfect in theory. Um, but we'll see if it will break through that uh, important one hundred dollar psychological barrier. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how well these devices do. Um, I mean, Apple have, are obviously filling out the gap in the market. Um, in the sense that they're kind of they're going to have pretty much every screen dimension between the current iPhones up to the the huge iPads. Um, so, and that the currently you know people have to go to competitors for. So, um, yeah, in some ways there, there's definitely a market there left that they can take. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see if that is that is enough for them. We got one of uh, we we got one of our most loved staff members. Is um, he won't mind if I say this? Is the uh, you know our resident token dinosaur? He's uh, seventy four years old. I think he's seventy three, seventy four. A remarkable man, and he uh, is involved in in uh, bookkeeping and accounting. And uh, he's had an old school phone that he hates to use, and he hardly uses, and he hates technology. Blah blah blah. And uh, I've been waiting for to get him on the right phone. And I think the big iPhone might be the one for Jimmy James. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these larger screens are supposed to have um, substantially better resolution, and obviously, if they're they're larger screens as well, then you can presumably bump up the text size and everything. So, yeah, no, it could be. It could be, or you could just use an iPad and just make calls on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Jimmy. He's just he he fights with technologies. We we always have some some lovely stories to. Um, to, to tell around watching him use technology re really difficult it's probably going to be me in uh, a few years time when i'm that age but anyway let's move move along twitter announced their results and if we spoke about facebook results in the most uh, in the previous podcast so if you want to talk about the if you want to listen to our commentary about the most recent facebook results which were fantastic pop onto episode number 42 at it's but twitter released their results james and they were also mm. pretty interesting um the most recent quarter they added 16 million users which is up on the the quarter before that where they only added 14 million users now this is quite important because they this is showing that new growth user growth is actually accelerating which was um Contrary to what's been in the last little while where one of the criticisms was new user growth is flattening on Twitter and everyone started worrying about that. So they've now got a little uptick in mm. the speed of user growth, 
Mm. Um, well, it's it's interesting that a lot of those reports came from of the user growth came from third parties that um, Twitter quite quite um, quickly shut down just before the uh, the announcement of their figures. So, um, does not say those numbers were right. I mean, I, I suspect they weren't. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting. It obviously pushed the stock down, and then obviously it's brought it back up again. And um, Twitter made one dollar sixty per timeline view, which is up from a hundred percent on the same quarter last year. So mm. that's that's quite significant as well. I believe it's still quite a lot lower than Facebook's. I don't have the Facebook number in front of me, but off the top of my head, I believe that number is quite a bit lower than Facebook. Um, they turned over the, the total revenue for the quarter was $312 million. 81% of that was from mobile, which is very significant. I mean, nearly all of that was from mobile. And mm-hmm. um, that's up... Um, again, as well on the previous the previous quarter. Um, I mean, interesting the mobile, James. I mean, I don't. Do you notice Twitter ads in your mobile timeline? I, I, I don't even off the top of my head. In 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 the web timeline, I definitely notice them, but in my mobile timeline, I don't remember seeing promoted tweets or promoted accounts or promoted installs. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really see them on mobile. Um, it's a lot like Facebook, actually. Facebook, I never noticed on mobile, but somehow these companies are making a lot of money out of these these advertising systems that aren't very intrusive. So it's it's good. I mean, it's a win for consumers if that's the case. One of the comments from Dick Costello on the earnings call. By the way, um, Twitter puts up its entire earnings call. It's about an hour long. I think I know you you had to listen to it, James. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah quite interesting if you just go to the twitter site and you go to investors you'll be able to listen to the entire earnings call and uh, they have the ceo and the cfo quite interesting um and one of the comments that de costello made was um um it's oh yes that's or someone made that that there's still quite a lot of um room left to put more ads in twitter that they're still very conservative in the amounts of ads that they are pushing um, to mm. the Twitter users, so they've still got a lot of, you know, Arsenal left to to up this revenue. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's interesting also that they're also looking at um, expanding their their growth to the um, to the non on Twitter user base as well. They seem to uh, focus on that that quite a lot um, and also their non logged in user base is obviously quite a lot of um, opportunities for them to to grow that side of things. I mean, the interesting thing about Twitter is like, unlike Facebook, a lot of the activity actually happens, you know, outside of um, twitter.com. So it's on other apps and it's also on, um, you know, TV shows and, you know, wherever you might see the the, the Twitter sign or the, the communication. And it's also a lot from unlogged in users as well, uh, people who don't have an active account. So yeah. there's, there's lots of interesting ways there. I think they've just gone down the traditional monetization route so far, just just monetizing the, the logged in users who they know a lot about. But um, there's plenty plenty more opportunities there for, the, to, to, for them to do other stuff. So. Yeah, the, the, they did make that point in the earnings call that Twitter – you know, in the embedded tweets, um, which are quite uh, frequently used in, in news articles, etc., uh, you know, have a, a very big reach as well. So, look, they, they're they smart crew. They're, I'm interested to see what's, what's going to happen. There wasn't much mention of third parties or um, their data business or any of, any of the more sort of secondary type of Twitter activities uh, were there in the earnings call. I don't remember... 
No, not not a whole lot other than that that larger audience point on the larger audience. No, there was not, not an awful lot to talk about it, no. I'm looking at their share price as well, and um, their share price spiked um, from mm. about, I don't know, 38 to almost 47 so mm-hmm. almost about $10, which is a massive, massive jump. And now it's, it's, it's sort of uh, settled at around 43 Of course, the high of Twitter was nearly 74 um, So mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's off its high, but um, it definitely spiked people back bullish on the, on the share. I'm, I'm still quite – I'm still bullish on Twitter. I still think it's early days for them. I mean, I think they, they've had to – Probably, I mean, I know in the early days they were very bullish on getting to one billion users and, um, you know, maybe competing with Facebook. I think, I think they're going to have to sort of, you know, and maybe they have already had just, just dreamt, dreamt up a different story for themselves to just uh, being a Facebook killer. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's going to be an interesting range. They can see where they go over the next, um, you know, six to 12 months. It's, um, they're obviously solidified their growth and they're obviously doing quite well at monetizing the product. So um, they still said they want to focus on the user experience. So hopefully they can do that without breaking their um, the existing usage. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see where they take it. Interesting. It's, it's um, yeah, for us, us old Twitter users, as in not uh, chronologically old, but established Twitter users. <laughs> it, is, it is every time I see a new feature or just a little tweak of theirs, I... I sort of go, oh, I, hope, I hope this isn't the one that alienates me. Um, <laughs> but so far, um, so far, so good. Um, and obviously, Manage Flitter, which is our, our main product, we keep a very close eye on it because all of our users are, are big, big Twitter users and, and we fill in the gap. Um, and one, of, one of the biggest requests of Twitter users is, is tools that give them insight into their accounts. And Twitter haven't yet provided that. And that's where we come in with Manage Flitter and provide a whole whole set of tools into into um, the Twitter accounts and um, it will be interesting to see to see where that goes um, so we're going to take a short break and you might if you're a regular listener know this ad off by heart so just sing along with it and if you're not a regular listener um, enjoy it and we'll be back with our interview with Saul Fleischman who's the CEO and head of product at Right Tag from Osaka Japan stay with us the It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with the It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber, and uh, you're listening to episode number 43. Um, been going for a little while already. Um, got an email a couple of uh, weeks ago, and um, what grabbed me most about this email was from um, a CEO of a tech startup based in Japan. Now, I, I visited Japan at the beginning of the year. I found it a fascinating country. So that, that definitely piqued my interest. And, um, and so I'm happy to say from Osaka, at the end of my Skype line, we have Saul Fleischman, who's the CEO and head of product at Right Tag. Saul, really appreciate you joining us. 
Oh, really honored to meet one of the founders of uh, my favorite uh, Twitter management tool, Manage Flitter. Uh, um, I'll plug it later. Um, just <laughs> love you. it. Yeah. I yeah. thank, thank you. Tell, tell, Salt, tell us, how did you land up in Osaka? What's, what's you know, the lay of the land with tech there? There's not many, sure. um, you know, we don't, we don't get many um, sort of insights into that part of the world. It's, it's not Tokyo. Um, I, I, how I got here was I did something called Semester at Sea uh, my last, uh, in my last year at Penn State. Um, and traveled around the world on a ship studying and after that i got the traveling bug and after finishing school i came here stayed two years studied the language back in america four years and then i came here and have been here straight through from 1995. Um, what i've done is international business development and marketing for japanese manufacturers small manufacturers small to mid-sized and then I've run a few um, one-man show type businesses myself. The startup thing is only three years for me that I've been in it. Um, uh, right Tag is my second, my first being Ideas Watch um, with, also with the CTO of Right Tag, Michal Hudacek. Um, and as for Osaka, I'd say it's it's not the big smoke. Um, well, so what's the eight, population eight, of Osaka? Eight, yeah, I was just kidding. eight million people. So it's not small in population, but I think there are cultural differences. I mean, you know, there are startup hub um, cities around the world. Uh, you, uh, you and Mel of Canva, we're talking about that. How you know. Um, I found it interesting. We, we think of Sydney as, wow, you know, a great startup city. Uh, whereas you were talking about, well, it's no, it's no San Francisco. Uh, Osaka is no Tokyo. You know, there are in Tokyo, it's every night of the week, seven nights a week. You have your choice of a couple meetups for um, tech creatives. Whereas in Osaka, there's um, maybe at most a couple of months and they're often very specific. They're silver light developers group or, um, hacker news people. So they're, they're very specific. I mean, we, for example, we have, uh, we've only had a few startup weekends, maybe four startup weekends in total in Osaka. Um, there's no lean launch pad in Osaka, they have that in Tokyo. So it's, it's fragmented. Um, and then there's also this cultural thing where people in Tokyo are more supportive. Whereas in Osaka, it's like, if you've got a great concept, um, and that's what I begin with as a product guy, um, in Osaka, people are looking for, um, sure things. You know, they're, they're, so they're less risk light. averse, very risk averse. Yes. Um, so they'll stay in a job they don't like um, to and won't really uh, dedicate time to building something out, bringing ideas to the uh, to what you already have um, this is what I find here. So actually, um, right tag were 
11 people, but we're spread around the world. Our engineering is, is two guys in Prague, Czech Republic, and then we have developers in America and India, but I'm the only one actually in, in Japan. Isn't that becoming, I mean, it's really becoming the model for tech startups these days. I mean, we, we're predominantly in Sydney, but we have some of our team in the States, um, South Africa. Um, so, you know, the, the tools really lend themselves these days to take advantage of the different geographies. And as a scrappy startup, as a self-funded startup, you really got to try and do whatever you need to do to get ahead. Yeah, you learn to be thrifty, you know, you learn to to pay for your SSL license when you need to. You you know, um you really every every $10 service and such that uh that looks good, you put off in you know, until the last possible minute. So, yeah. So, um, um back back to the you know, being in Japan and you mentioned you learned the language how are are you totally fluent in Japanese? I used to be um, um especially when I was working for Japanese companies i yeah, I could interpret um but now it's gone to to very little like like survival level I couldn't give uh, i wouldn't give try to give business presentations anymore in Japanese because the last three years I do everything in English actually and everything. It's a- and it seems like such a different metaphor of communication. I mean, it seems fascinating to me, but it's not like, you know, going from English to Italian. It's just a whole different leap, isn't it? It's a huge leap. Yeah, the language is, is radically different. Um, I mean, colors can have present or past tense. Adjectives can have a past tense. You don't need a subject in a sentence. You don't need a verb in a sentence. It's, um, right. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Try to it's, figure it's, that I, out. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, you know, I've studied a little bit of, of Hebrew and Afrikaans, and um, even that, even those seem pretty pretty complex for my English first language brain. So, um, but I'd like to learn a little bit before the next time I go to Japan. And I, I was so intrigued by that country. It's just culturally, it was fantastic, and the definitely the most polite people I have ever encountered in my life. Oh yeah, especially they they take uh, they take pride in how they treat guests. So when they when they understand that you just arrived, that sets off like warning bells. <laughs> like oh, we we want to make a good impression because um, that's what he's going to take home. They yeah. they really care about that. It's, yeah. it's 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 really it's really special. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't been to Japan, I, I really recommend it. I, I met with some of the people in the, the involved in the tech startup scene in Tokyo, and mm. um, I mean, interesting. They said that you know, unlike Australia and um, some other smaller countries, population wise, if you crack the tech startup, uh, if you if you crack it with a product in Japan with 135 million people plus. Um, you, you pretty much don't really need to go anywhere else. Whereas in in Australia, we, if for a you know consumer tech product, you really have to go global. We've only got you know I forget 20, 22, 23 million people here um, mm. across the board and an aging population. So we we've got to look uh, um, outside our, our borders. And as you know, Melanie of Canva, Campaign Monitor, Manage Flitter, we all the bulk, um, you know, only. Two to three percent of managed flitters' revenue comes from Australia. 
it's pretty much America probably. This is where this is what we we're really going after as well is is the US um market mainly. Yeah. So so tell us tell us the rights ta- tag story you guys uh you guys are bootstrapped. Tell us where the, the genesis. I'm always interested the the zero to one of a business. I'm always fascinated by. So take us back. Yeah, the actually where the where the concept came to me, the the pain that needed to be uh, taken care of, you know, the need for right tag is so much more interesting than what we do. Um, it was the big tsunami, the tidal wave that hit Japan uh, three years ago, uh, washed away Miyagi City, um, destroyed the two nuclear reactors at, in Fukushima. Um, and there was government shutdown of news. They were worried about panic and people doing counterproductive things. But you know what they couldn't shut up, right? Social Twitter. media networks. Pretty much Twitter, yeah. And, and, Twitter's, um, and Twitter's huge in Japan. I don't think people realize that. I mean, I've, I've heard different things from different people, but um, I've, I've even heard reports that Twitter's bigger than Facebook in Japan. I don't know if that's true or not. I wouldn't agree with that. I'd say Facebook, number one. Yeah, but, but Twitter is big. But the thing is, though, is it wasn't, I didn't care about nationality. I, what, to me, of course, hashtags were rubbish. They were pollution. This was my, before um, the, the big quake and the, and the tidal wave. They were um, uh, like an, I don't know, an advertisement or something, just decoration and people being humorous and ironic. And I didn't care at all about them, okay? Uh, but then... Uh, when I when I turned off the TV and was glued to Hootsuite um, and I had well a certain um, my inner circle Twitter list in a column and I see some people in Japan they're sharing good stuff retweeting other people but I I could see I'm I'm finding great stuff about what's going on what's really going on from from tweets I'm finding great videos and such. Um, but I noticed that even people who are really Twitter savvy, clearly from their tweets, they're very Twitter savvy. They had absolutely no idea what would be the right hashtag to use for the topic. Well, I mean, I saw pray for Japan, love for Japan, JP quake, Japan, earthquake, Fukushima, um, Miyagi city and such. So they didn't know. They understood that we could click on a hashtag to see the real-time stream. We could stick one in a column in TweetDeck, Hootsuite, a bunch of different things, right, to, to track um, what's coming up with a hashtag. Um, we could also just search in Twitter, right, um, or Twitter advanced search. We could search. Um, and people would also be curating material from a hashtag and automatically republishing it. Paper Li, Instapaper, uh, Glossy, Bottlenose, Scoop It, things like that, right? But they had absolutely no idea what, what hashtag to use. So we, we, I thought, what if we start with the assumption that you know what you're talking about in your own words? And what you want from us is just what hashtag to use, what would be best? Um, and we took it from there, yeah. So... Um 
you guys bootstrapped and you, um, you know, how did you get your initial traction? Was it just um, sending out a few tweets and you get guys get some press? I, uh, um, I did a lot of blogging, a little bit of guest posting. I reached out to who I knew. Um, I already fortunately had a bit of social presence myself. So a whole lot came just from me um, and people resharing that way. We were very much a slow grow, though. Um, uh, people just hearing about Right Tag, we're two and a half years in development. And we've pivoted many times. We started out as a search tool. Right. You know, it was put in your topic and we'll show you hashtags used with it on a number of different social networks. And then you could save them and use them. Okay. But now we're, we're riding in Twitter, in Hootsuite, Buffer, TweetDeck. We're riding right inside there um, uh, with our browser extensions. Uh, we have a mobile app. And we just, we just grade your hashtags as you type them. So it's, a, it's a nifty idea. I know, I know we've had a lot of our customers sort of uh, ask for all sorts of things around hashtags. So it's, it's certainly a, a, a nifty idea. What, uh, any, um, do you reveal any numbers of number of users or any other metrics that would be interesting to, to other people listening in the, that are tech startup folk? I, I think um, we're expecting things to change a lot as we get into total social media optimization. Uh, we started out with 11 social networks integrated. We dialed back, back to just Twitter to go much deeper, uh, but we'll be expanding. Um, so as such, we only have 15,000. Um, 15,000 users, users, right? Yeah, for, for two and a half years. Um, but this, this is because I think for a long time people have seen us as a, a Twitter tool. You know, when you iterate, people sign up at different times. So what they'll be seeing from the middle of this month um, will be eye-opening, we believe. And, th and that includes free and paid users, I assume? Mm -hmm. right. Yes, and we're still developing based on revenue. We are, um, we have no outside capital. We're just building on, on um, revenue. Any particular reason for um, not taking capital? It's always the big debate, sort of, you know, bootstrapping, taking capital. It's, I'm always having, people are always asking me, you know, um, would you guys take capital, et cetera. It's, 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 it's two, different, two different paths. To be as blunt as I am American, <laughs> um, we're not in San Francisco, so uh, where the most cockamamie uh, ideas get funded. Yo, yo, yo got 1.2. I think Yo got 1.2 million. I actually love Yo, by the way. Are you familiar with the Yo app? Uh, I've heard of it only, it's, but it's only for smartphones, right? It is. It is, yes. It's basically you just... Uh, it's just, it's just you 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 click on your friend's name and it just sends them a little message that says yo that's it. Okay, it's sort of like a poke in Facebook. Exactly like right. That. It's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they've got an open API and um, you know they've uh, interesting use cases around it and um, 
Mark Andreessen tweeted some interesting things about what he called one bit communication. And um, mm. we interviewed um, the founder, by the way, uh, if anyone's listening and you're interested, we interviewed one of the founders of Yo a, a few podcasts back and he had some interesting things to say. Um, and it's been quite a wild ride for them and they managed to raise $1.2 million pretty quickly. So good for them. Mm. But they're yeah. based uh, in Tel Aviv and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the thing is, I mean, like, look at Buffer, um, where uh, they had to go to San Francisco to get funding. They were already doing what they did when they got funding for many months, but they had to go there and stay there. And their first trip there, they didn't succeed, actually. They had to stay there a good while. What's the funding situation like in Japan? I mean, you mentioned obviously Tokyo is a lot more sophisticated. Um, is, there, uh, is there a lot of early stage? Because in Sydney there's funding, but it tends to be later stage. Early stage is still, it's there, but it's still patchy. Um, I don't care. I just don't care because I don't believe that they have the connections. I don't believe that they're in bed with the companies that I would need um, preferential treatment from. I don't believe they're going to open doors. And at this point, as far along as we are, what we would want with the money is, is those doors open. So it would, be, it would be something like Greylock Partners. I mean, you, we look at their portfolio. Sure. So I'm not interested in, in Japanese VC. Right. It's, it's who's, who's in their portfolio. Right. Who have they gone in on in, you know, in seed round, in, in, um, uh, in successive rounds? Right. And that's that's what I always answer people. They say, would you ever take money? And I say, well, you know, not every dollar is equal. And uh, right. people can bring more than money to the table. That's always incredibly valuable right. um, to us. You know, just, right. a, just, a, just a neutral dollar is valuable, but a dollar that comes with a lot more connections, contacts, experiences, networks, other companies in the ecosystem. That's really where it starts to make a lot of sense sometimes. Sure. Yeah. It's a matter of who else they're invested in, really, because they they want to they want to see them do better, and they want to uh, protect their investment with us. So they're going to put us together, right? And then we're going to get what we need from Google, from Facebook, from LinkedIn, and they may actually change uh, how they treat hashtags, right? Or or what they give us in a private API. So it's how, how sweetheart do you, deals. It's all yeah, sweetheart deals. So how do you guys face that risk of that platform risk that that Twitter uh, may take left turns here and there? Do you guys think about it? Do you worry about it, or do you just deal with today and tomorrow? Uh, we followed the news, but you know, if hashtags are in a different field, we can do something with that rather than the main update field. Um, by field, right. I mean the area where people sure. type a tweet or paste it. Um, we can deal with that. Uh, we've already worked with a number of other social networks. There are, are over 100 social networks and content networks that have ser- searchable hashtags. So uh, Twitter is important, but it's it can only be Twitter. And, and then it's also we'll be going – far beyond hashtags we were already working on something for our api as well as our own service where we look at your whole update and we tell you your sins before you commit them 
That's that's um, <laughs> that's that's that sounds smart. I'm interested to see that. So, um, so we we we've only got a couple of minutes left. What I do want to ask you. Um, finally which has just slipped my mind which serves me right for not not writing down my brilliant interview um my brilliant interview questions um um well while while it percolates out of my brain so um just just tell us quickly what's you know if someone's listening to this podcast um who's who what type of use case is best suited for right tag for your product for anyone who needs, who has something that they need to get found, not that they want to, but they need to, whether they're a solopreneur, a small business person, if they want to tag their social media posts, their images, their videos, any, anything shared to social media uh, so that it gets found by people who are already looking for it then they need right tag. Okay, that's quite quite clear. And I think and I'm pretty sure um, we have quite a few people that fit listening that fit into that. And my, my question popped back into my head. We, we um, like you, we have quite a few remote workers. We have most of our team based in Sydney. We're always looking at ways for making remote work um, easier, smarter, more efficient. Um, what are some of the tools you use and um, any sort of um, learnings that you've had over the years? I'm sure some people are listening that also have remote teams. And I'm always looking for tips to really make that remote working even more productive. We, um, well, we do everything that we can with um, low cost or free services. So we're using something called Asana for task management, right? Um, and That's sort of like Basecamp or sort of like Jira? It's like Jira if you don't have the money for Jira. Right. Yeah. Jira, I think, is a one-month free trial. Right. Uh, Jira is better than Asana, but it gets costly fast. Uh, so we're using Asana. Um, it's less steps to get something done than Trello is the only thing that I like about it over Trello. We rely heavily on um, Google products. So our meetings are generally with video calls. We can have up to 10 people in there um, in one call. Uh, screen share isn't as sharp as Skype, but you can jump around screens much faster. So it, it turns out to be, and we can blow things up. So. Um, it turns out to be more uh, fluid than than Skype. Um, uh, we rely on other Google, uh, Gmail, uh, Drive for sharing uh, um, documents we're working on, mock-ups. Um, then I guess there's something new that I really like. Um, uh, it's InVision for mock-ups. What does that um, What does that do? Uh, it's for wireframing things very right. quickly, and you can comment on them. So Envision is really great. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we uh, you need to have a startup needs to have a social presence. You got to have a Twitter account, and you really have to have manage Flitter on it. I'll have to uh, show you how I use that sometime, Kevin. I really recommend uh, it if you haven't. Um. <laughs> you know, you, you know what the funny thing is, Saul, is that. Um, 
I go to the States quite a bit. And when I'm in the States, I spend a lot of time sitting with customers, seeing how they use our product. And I can honestly say um, they are all using our products in ways that we didn't even imagine. And it's quite, oh, yes. and it's quite remarkable and exciting to see how people use our product. And it's a really, we're always playing catch up in understanding how our clients are using our product. And if you are a user of our product and you're listening and you haven't sent us feedback, always send us feedback. I monitor, one of the first things I do every day is I get into our help box at contact at managedflitter.com and I just read the comments and the problems and it's I feed that back to the team. So, um, you know, the, the users are, are much more expert at the product um, than I am. But just going back to the remote work, I'll just like to share. Mm. I, I have received a couple of emails from people saying, you know, we'd like to hear, Kevin, a little bit more about how you guys work and what you do and learn. So I'm going to try and embed a few learnings in the podcast and, the, and just to share some of the tools that we use. Yammer is definitely one of our most used tools. And, um, you, you know, the teams around the world use, you know, follow all the Yammer streams. So Yammer is a very big part of what we do. Um, there are a couple of similar products that we're looking at perhaps moving to because Yammer has moved into the Microsoft sort of stable. And I'm not sure how fast they're going to be iterating. But the concept of a sort of internal social media network is, is awesome. Uh, we've also started using something called Squiggle which um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Squiggle, Saul. No, I haven't. So Squiggle is basically, um, it it's creates like a virtual office on, on your screen. So it uses your, your camera and takes snapshots every few minutes. And you can s literally physically see the other team members and you can push on them and have a quick chat. So it's sort of, it's to create like a virtual office in a way. So Squiggle's quite interesting. And then obviously, yes, Google Drive, um, um, GitHub, um, that, that, you know, pings into Yammer whenever something gets pushed into GitHub and of course Skype. And, um, so we've got, we've got a pretty lean product set, but we find that it's, it scales very, very well. So, uh, just if someone's listening, those, those are some of, some of our tools. If you are listening, you have any, uh, any suggest suggestions for other remote work products, um, just tweet us at monkey podcast or email us. Uh, we'd always love to hear. So we're going to have to wrap it up there. But um, Saul Fleischman, the CEO and the head of product at Right Tag from Osaka, Japan. Really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. And um, we'll stay in touch and see the developments from here on out. Thanks a lot. It's been fun. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. Find new people to follow. Track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code monkey2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. James, um, hashtags, interesting, mm -hmm. a sort of interesting phenomenon that we, we almost have to thank the, the Open Twitter API for, the, for that. I mean, it's one of these, you know, little Twitter um, you know, quirks that emerged during pretty much the early days of Twitter. It's even known who invented the hashtag. It's been tracked down to one, one academic somewhere in the States. If you Google it, you're listening and you're interested, you can probably find out. But one chap started using the hashtag and it, and it started taking off. 
Yeah, it's an interesting um, solution to the problem of discoverability and, and linking sort of common topics together. And yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I was actually quite looking looking through the site, the right tag site. It is a very interesting product, actually. I was quite quite intrigued by it. And it makes a lot of sense that you would want to optimize the tags you include in your post because, um, you know, in some ways that's how people find you, you know, people looking for related content. Um, I know how I have this issue all the time when I go to conferences and I don't never know what hashtag to use and I will pick one and it will turn out like half the people are using one, half the people are using another one. Um, so it is an issue that, um, that needs to be worked on in terms of optimizing it. Um, and yeah, they're definitely a great addition to the Twitter ecosystem, and they've spread elsewhere now. Seems to be people on Facebook tend to use them quite a lot too. The interesting thing with hashtags. I mean, do you do you hashtag a lot when you tweet? I mean, you're not a big tweeter in general, but do you hashtag much? I don't know if I ever hashtag actually, <laughs> unless I do it ironically. <laughs> Probably <laughs> because I'm so old school at Twitter. Um, no, I I actually don't hashtag very often. No, I, I hashtag only like you mentioned at conferences. Yeah, uh, that's that's right. Yeah, I, that's the only time I hashtag, but I don't hashtag anywhere else. I used to hashtag on Facebook, ironically, but I don't know. Then, then I started getting annoyed when other people were hashtagging ironically. So I thought, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I've got to put my money where my mouth is. They but want I, to be part of the problem, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so now on on um, Twitter, um, generally. Generally, I don't. On Instagram, a little. Uh, uh, on Instagram, I started doing it a little bit at some stage because I started looking at my young friends and how they discover on Instagram and they get follows. And boy, the hashtags are a big story on Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's how um, a lot of liking activity occurs. And it seems like there's different formulas you can use in terms of optimizing the number you have in order to optimize your likes, which is kind of crazy. But um, yeah, no, it's an interesting, interesting concept. What do you think of um, sort of bootstrapping out of Japan? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, there's a few companies doing it, which is which is interesting. Obviously, it's uh, it's a nice place to be culturally, and it's a bit of a change. I guess it's kind of good in some ways, in that you're sort of outside of the the ecosystem of Silicon Valley and um, even outside of the Western ecosystem, which probably gives you a different perspective, which is very valuable for startups. So, yeah, no, it sounds like quite, a, quite an intriguing idea, actually. And you're a big, um, I mean, we spoke a little bit about uh, remote working. You, you're quite bullish on the um, future of remote working. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably, you know, the future. I mean, I suspect that... We're probably a little way off it, but I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, quite a large percentage of the population is sort of working remotely in sort of 10 years, 20 years. I mean, it makes an awful lot of sense for a huge number of reasons. Um, and kind of, you know, the the, the co-location stuff of, of, of humans is almost like a, <laughs> it's like an archaic concept in some ways in, this, in the modern world. Um, it's almost a bit like... Um, I don't know how what's an analogy for it, but um, uh, I guess in in IT it's kind of like having like a physical server or, or like you know dead or, or like um, um, cloud servers where you can kind of like spin them up anywhere and move them about and <laughs> that kind of stuff. So humans um, as a service, humans as a service, yeah. And um, look, there's it's kind of. Um, 
I think it's probably a bit naive to assume that the best person for any job is located in, in the city you happen to just start your business in. Um, so I think if you can build a business that doesn't rely on that to be a necessity, is it's going to be a huge advantage for the future, um, particularly for smaller companies. I think I think that's a huge, huge thing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that continues to, to grow. There's um, a lot of people that agree with you, some of the... Um base camp guys i think they wrote a whole book about it rework you know, mm, very yep. into the remote work um i mean barbara gray who we interviewed um in one of the previous podcasts around the social sharing economy where we spoke about why uber is so successful and why airbnb are so successful she just sent me a link to a new article saying that you know linkedin could be the next uber for professionals and it was an mm. interesting article it's sort of if you think of almost like Odesk for professionals, but, you know, professionals as a service and LinkedIn are definitely the most well positioned to take advantage of that where you could work on a professional basis, maybe project by project or task by task. And um, so there's definitely something in it. I mean, I, I, I like, um, I, I can see both sides of the story. I mean, I think being, being freed up from location and not being tethered to the to it is fantastic and we've certainly taken advantage of it um you in um you know canada and um and most of our teams in sydney and we got some in south africa and some in the us and we certainly take advantage of it but i still like the the the, the magic that happens when people are in a room together and maybe the model is a bit of a mixture of the two is probably to try to leverage the advantages of both you know is is might make sense but I definitely like the magic of, of that face-to-face, of that spontaneous iteration. But that being said, um, you can certainly capture a lot of um, other benefits from being open to having people work from you from all over the world. So um, it'll be interesting to, to see if it really does um, sort of pick up steam. I think the countries need to, you know, the, the authorities need to, the policymakers really need to get their act together because if you just take for Australia, for instance, there's areas that people want to live, but there are no jobs and um, infrastructure is pretty not very good, even just connectivity infrastructure. So if they would just layer connectivity inf- infrastructure, they could really ramp up employment in these areas due to remote employment activities. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Improving the connectivity would be good. In fact, ironically, you dropped out halfway through that through that comment. So, <laughs> well, the one problem with the remote work. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm in Australia. You're in Canada. In theory, we should be on rock solid connections. <laughs> you would have thought so. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, you take a place like Byron Bay, which, um, if you're not from Australia, it's a it's a lovely little, you know, holiday surfy town in between a few big cities. And um, I don't know what the situation is now, but I know a couple of years ago, if you wanted connectivity there, um, a lot of people were stuck on satellite. I mean, I mean, you can't really run a web business on satellite internet connection. No, no, that's crazy. So yeah, good internet is, is vital to, to running an online business. Vital. So, you know, policymakers should, should really, in, particularly in areas with high unemployment, um, and interestingly, as an aside, James, I don't know if you saw the Australian press yesterday, the Australian unemployment rate is the highest, has hit the highest in 12 years, I believe. Which oh, is, wow, really? Mm, oh, interesting. Which is interesting, uh, particularly, um, yeah, you know, the, the Liberal government, the Liberal with the big L, um, which are actually the Conservatives, if you're listening and out of Australia, it's a bit confusing. 
Um, we are down under here, so things are a little bit opposite. Um, are known to be, you know, very economically focused, and and a lot of people voted them in based on their um, economic policies. And now unemployment has gone up. So um, anyway, I won't editorialize over general economic issues. I'll, I will try stick to what I what I know best. Um, I think that's it for episode number 43. You've been listening to James Peter, who's uh, the brains behind Manage Flutter and does all the, the work alongside with the team, uh, Charles and Andre, etc. And um, myself, Kevin Garber, f- from Manage Flutter. And uh, please contact us. Oh, James, I did forget one thing, actually. I promised someone who emailed us, who's just started a new podcast, I promised to give her a shout-out. Um, cool. and um, she's a fan of the podcast and she's a fan of Manage Flitter and I'm just looking for the email from her here we go um, from Karen Strunks and she's um, at karenstrunks.com so K-A-R-E-N-S for sugar T-R-U-N for Nelly K-S dot com and Karen says she's a business coach and social media coach helping daring entrepreneurs take big, daring leaps in their business and lives. And she's started publishing a podcast where each week I interview a world-class business leader. They talk business, marketing, social media, etc. The show is fun, light, and relaxed. And she's a fan of Manage Flitter, and she's a fan of the podcast. So I said I'd thank her and give her a shout out so that's karenstrunks.com if you're a podcast junkie check it out and thanks to karen for um, dropping us a note and with that it's um we'll see you in two weeks and if you want to be interviewed on the podcast or have any ideas drop us a line and it's goodbye from myself and james have a good one